0: And that's the key, isn't it? When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. (laughs) You know, you think about us singing, you know, and how good it feels to sing, you know, together, worshiping the Lord. But think about when we gather around the throne up there. (laughs) There'll be no hindrances, you know. We're not going to have to face the world that is against us. you know. We're not going to have to face all the difficulties of life. Isn't it going to be so different when we gather around that throne and we're looking at our Savior and singing from the bottom of our hearts to him? I mean, we feel God's presence when we sing here. But just think, when we're going to look at his face and singing, you know? wow. I mean, I just thought of that while we were singing. I thought, whoo. Boy, if that doesn't make you feel good you know, to think about what it's going to be like to be in his presence. And uh, he'll be singing with us, just like Christ will be singing right along with us at times, you know. Other times we'll be worshiping him. knelt at the throne, you know, praising God. All these things that we hear about, we study about, guess what? They're going to become a reality. Faith is going to become sight one day. You're going to see him face to face. And uh, that role is called... I know you guys, myself, when we were in the military, I mean, we we're so used to having the roll call, you know. Everybody here. You know? But when that roll is called up yonder, it's going to be different. You know? It's going be different because the one who saved us will be making that roll call. And yes, Lord, I'm here. <laughs> right here. <laughs> well, I want you to think about something this morning. Something uh, happened several years ago. I asked the Wednesday night class what changed the most when you got saved? And it went around, you know, I had a lot of good answers, but one stood out above all the rest and the name was Roger Ward and he said, what changed most about me is my pursuits. The things I used to pursue, I no longer pursue. The things I did not pursue before, that's what I now pursue. And I had not even thought about that when I asked the question, but I said, boy, did he hit the nail on the head? Because that really is what changes the most, is that we no longer are pursuing the things that satisfy this flesh, that bring pleasure to this flesh, but we're pursuing those things that satisfy our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because now we pursue those things that we cannot see with our eyes, that we cannot feel with our hands, we pursue those things that are of faith. We cannot see it. But we can have faith that one day we will see it. That's why I constantly am quoting Second Corinthians 4 and 16, for which cause we faint not. For though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, But for a moment, just think of that. But for a moment, it will exceed on and on in our entire life. For which cause we faint not, for though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. So when you think about... That inward man, that inward woman, and you think about the outward man, the outward woman, the outward is like a vapor. It's passing away, it's perishing. The inward person is eternal, will never pass away. So, what should we truly be putting emphasis on? That one that is eternal, right? That one that is inside of us, not the outward one that is perishing. So if you think about what the people of this world are pursuing, they're trying to satisfy the flesh, all the pleasures of the flesh, which are perishing as they use those. But when we are looking at the internal man, we realize that even though the outward one is getting weaker, the inward man, the inward woman is getting stronger every day. So you can look at a person 90 years old, been serving the Lord all their life. They're barely getting around. But if they're a child of God, they're stronger than they've ever been in their life because they're pursuing those things. that are inward and not outward. I'd like for you to look at Hebrew 11. Hebrew 11 is what? The faith chapter of the Bible, right? Just like 1 Corinthians 13 is What? The love chapter of the Bible. So when we talk about faith, we go to Hebrews 11, and there we're able to see what faith really is. The very first verse in chapter 11, how many times have we quoted that? We've heard that, and yet we realize this is exactly what faith is, is what Hebrews 11 and 1 says. Now, faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the proof of things not seen. That's what faith is. We're putting our hope in something we cannot see, but the Word of God verifies what we believe. Something that has endured thousands of years, never been able to be proved wrong. Not one word of it, been able to be proved wrong. That tells you a lot about the Word of God. You can put your trust in something that nobody can ever find error in it. There's no other book like it. And that's why we can put our faith in this book because we know it is God's Word. It is real, and it's going to endure forever. Now, I want you to look at verse 39 of the same book. 39. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect or complete. Now, when you read this and you realize what he's saying, verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And look at this in a little different slant. They with us should be made perfect. Now what is he talking about here? Well, if you look at verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Here was Moses. He was looking forward to what? The messianic promises in Isaiah 53. He was looking as a part of the children of God, looking forward to the messianic promise that was to Israel just like it is today to the church, that they will be united in heaven one day. And so this promise he's talking about, it's looking forward to what is to come. And so here's Moses choosing rather to serve with the people of God than all that he could have had if he had been a Pharaoh. He saw he looked down the road and saw the promises that were hid. So read that again now, verse thirty nine. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Not yet. God having provided some better thing for us. And what is that? It is that we will be a part of the kingdom of God and that we are now a part of the kingdom of God. I think this thing, is it still working? Okay. So... Let's read uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with what? Patience, which is what? Endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us. Now, that's what the race is. It's a race of Perseverance of endurance. It's not how we start the race. It's how we finish the race. That's what's important. Heard the story about the turtle and a rabbit and their race. The rabbit takes off like a streak of lightning. Before long, the little old turtle passes him, sitting on the sideline. He's sleeping. Goes a little further, he passes him, he's over there visiting, you know. Daryl just keeps right on going. Perseverance. He just kept on going until he got to the finish line. It's the same way with us. Somewhat times we may feel like we're not making much headway, but we'll continue. And here's the key to it. For chap- verse 2, chapter 12, is the key to all of it. What is it? Looking unto Jesus. Not only the author, but also the finisher of our faith. When God starts something, is He going to complete it? Yes, He is. He always finishes what He starts. I didn't intend to do this, but I want you to turn over to Jude twenty-four. It's, it's not hard. Just the book just before Revelation. It's right. We're close to it. Jude twenty-four. Here is the eternal security that we believe in. Right here. Every Baptist believes in eternal security. And here it is, Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you, me, from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's God's word to you and to me. That it's he that is the author and finisher of our faith. We're along for the ride, you might say. But he's the shepherd, we're the sheep, and he's leading us to eternal glory. So verse 2, back in uh, Hebrew, chapter 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. All that you have to think about when you're going through a trying time is look what Jesus went through. Think about what he went through. If you think you're having a hard time sometimes, think of what they did to him. And he endured it. Think of the one who took every sin upon him he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God through him 2nd Corinthians 5 and 21 just think of that alone now taking every sin of all the world upon himself just enduring that alone why did he cry out my God my God why hast thou forsaken me he had all our ugly sins on him what he endured and what we endure are so different. Now, there's a man that we realize really explains what we're talking about very well. And it's found in Second Corinthians. Hold your place in uh, Hebrew 11 there. If you have a marker, put it there in Hebrew 11. But look at Second Corinthians chapter 12. This man is Paul the Apostle. And he is a very good example for exactly what we're talking about this race of perseverance, this race of patience, Paul knew all about it. And we we'll read about it right here in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. Now remember, this man wrote over half of the New Testament. So look at all the revelations that he had. And lest I should be Exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Verse 7. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now stop right there for a minute. Turn over two or three pages. You'll find out what this thorn in the flesh was. Chapter 4 of Galatians. Just a few pages. And it reveals... In verse 13, Galatians 4 and 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. In my temptation or my infirmity which was in my flesh you despise not nor rejected, But receive me as an angel of God even as Christ Jesus. They believed him 100% as if it was Jesus preaching to them. That's how powerful this apostle was. Then look at verse 15. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear your record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. He didn't say you would have plucked off your arm and given to me, or your hand, or your foot. He said your eyes. So we know now from what Galatians says, That this infirmity he's talking about, this thorn in the flesh, was his eyes. We don't know to what degree it doesn't say that it caused him a problem. But look at uh, verse 9. And here's the key. And he said unto me, Jesus speaking, you see the red letters, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now you know when you pray, And you ask God to heal something. You ask him to do something. And he doesn't do it the way you think he would do it. Do you know the very same thing that Jesus said to Paul the apostle? He says to us also. When we have something going on. And God has not yet answered that prayer. Just remember what 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 says. My grace is sufficient unto thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he's going to give you exactly what you need to go through whatever that is, not to go over it or under it, but through it. He didn't answer Paul's prayer, and here's a man, Paul the apostle, who prayed, and a man actually that was dead was raised from the raised up from the dead. Remember uh, when he was preaching a long time? You see, some people preach a long time. Paul was one of those that a man fell out of the third law and died. I mean, he was preaching on and on, wasn't he? <laughs> he fell asleep and fell on the floor, and he died, and Paul raised him from the dead. This is the kind of man we're talking about, the power that Paul the apostle had. Also, uh, the father of Publis had dysentery, and Paul prayed for him, and he was healed. He prayed for himself three times, not once, but three times. I've had people ask me before, Brother Joe, I've been praying about this and praying about it. Should I stop praying? I said, no. As long as you feel that God is still going to do this, you keep praying. Paul prayed three times for this infirmity. He didn't pray once. He didn't pray twice. He prayed three times for it. And then God answered him, My grace is sufficient unto thee. So Paul had the power to be healed, we know. But God had a reason that he didn't heal him. And look at what he says After Jesus said what he did. Paul says most gladly. Verse 9 the second part. Most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmity. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure. Verse 10. In infirmities. In reproaches. In necessities. In persecutions. In distresses. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak. What? Then am I strong. Remember what we were talking about in Second Corinthians 4 and 16, you know, the outer man is weak, the inner man or the inner woman is what is being revived, being renewed, getting stronger every day. That's what he's talking about. Even though Paul was weak in the flesh, he was like a Mack truck when it came to being spiritual. Nothing stopped him. He kept right on going because he had God's strength in him. You see, Romans 8 and 37 says, We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. You see, a lot of times it's not in spite of tribulation that we mature, but it's because of tribulation that we mature. The persecution, the tribulation, the difficulties are actually what is building our faith. You know, the immune system sits quietly in our body until disease attacks it. And what does that immune system do? It attacks whatever that is. Does the immune system get weaker because it's attacking a disease? No. It's actually getting stronger as it fights off whatever that is attacking your body. The same way with our faith works just like our immune system. When we get attacked by difficulties, persecutions, sickness, or whatever, what happens? is our faith is just like the immune system. It starts fighting it off. That's why faith is so important. That's why when we read Hebrew 11, we realize the importance of having the type of faith that all of these, and if you turn back to Hebrew 11, all of these patriarchs that are before verse 39 and 40, they often died because of the persecution that they received. But did they give up? Did they get weak? No. They stood fast because they knew that they were standing because of God who loved them. And the promises that God had given to them, they knew that the promises had not yet been attained, but they were going to come. They were going to see the reward of their faithfulness come through. And it would come after their death, not while they were living. How many times have you seen a marine, a soldier, a sailor get a reward while they're in the midst of the battle? Never. It's after the battle that they get their reward. It's going to be the same way with us also. Very seldom will you see a reward for your faithfulness on this earth. You're going to see it later on. Like these were looking forward to the promises that they knew were real. Also, we are doing the same thing and we're going to be joined together, as he said in that last verse, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So we're all going to be together in this promise that we have. So as we think about these faithful patriarchs in Hebrew 11, and the profound impact that they had on the people in that day that saw their uh, ability to stand against the persecution. What did it do to their faith? It built up the faith of the onlookers also. Just like for us when we read Hebrew 11, what does it do to our faith? It builds it up because we see people that went through much more than we're going through, and yet they were faithful to the end. How many people have you known in your life? Most of us in here have been here on this earth a little while. And we've seen people in our lifetime that have been faithful. No matter what they're going through, they continue to be faithful to God. What does that do to our faith? And what has our faith done to someone else? Most of us in here may have children or grandchildren. What does their faith do when they see us during a difficult time? It helps their faith. That's the way God intended for it to work. You see, uh, verse 4 of chapter 12 of Hebrews says, You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against what? Sin. Not yet resisted unto blood. Most of those in Hebrews 11 did suffer unto blood. But we realize it was because of the hatred that people have against God and against Jesus Christ and against the believer. That's what Hebrew 11 is all about. It's about the hatred that people of the world have against God, Jesus Christ our Savior, and against the followers. That's why. I'll never forget one night we were having a class and an older gentleman was there and uh, we were talking about how the devil attacks, you know, and there's many different Uh, ways of trickery and he said you know what why is it that only Christians are attacked by the devil you know I never thought about that you don't hear him attacking other religions you don't hear him attacking unbelievers who's he after Christians there's a reason for that because you see the devil hates God And he hates the followers of God. When you're under attack, guess what? You must be doing something right. You know what I'm saying? If Satan continues to attack you, then you know you're on the right side. Right? That guy, uh, when he said that, I was sitting down and I almost did a double take. I said, why did I never think of that? See, he was older than me, so he had more wisdom than I did. So a lot of times it's good to listen to people older than us, isn't it, because they've been through more, and sometimes they got more wisdom than we do and knowledge. But I've thought about that ever since. I've never forgotten. You know, the devil's busy after the church. He's wanting to shut it down. He don't want anybody in here. He would like to see a sign on the front door closed. He's doing everything he can to stop the church. But guess what? I got news for him. The church is going to endure. The church is going to win out. And I saw in Revelation what's going to happen to the devil. He's going to be cast in a lake of fire. He's not going to bother anybody anymore one day. He's going to be shut down. Every believer's faith and courage, whether well-known or little-known, affects others. When there are sufferings from persecutions, loss of loved ones, final loss, sickness, or injury, those that stand up and accept those things head on by faith, they are in some way influencing another person, whether it's a few people or a lot of people. Some may not suffer under blood, but their suffering can be so painful that at times it's like it's at the point of being unbearable. Then what happens? We turn to God. And then what happens? What we just looked at in Second Corinthians 12 and 9. My grace is sufficient unto thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we're at that point of breaking, we realize like Paul, when I'm weak, he is strong. And he's right there. Uh, I know that as many are sitting here this morning, that you like me, you may not have suffered under blood but you have suffered because of false false accusations. People have said things about you that have not been true. You have suffered some of your sickness, the pain sometimes never leaves. Several years ago, someone said something falsely about me, someone I loved, and I just assumed they took a knife and stabbed me in the chest. There's the things that they said. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It can hurt so deep that it's like someone stabbing you. And you know, on this tie it says WWJD. I thought about that so many times when I was going through that persecution. Falsely accused. And I kept praying to God, help me be able to handle this, Lord, the way that you would that I not dishonor you, I not do something that would cause them not to see Jesus Christ living in me. That was my prayer. My flesh wanted to do something about it, being an old Marine, you know. I wanted to go head to head with them, but I knew that I couldn't do it. I had to be like Christ. And you know what? The day came, I was able to forgive them. We made up, and it worked out. That person's in the grave today. And I'm so thankful that I didn't handle it the way that I would have before Christ. And you see, there were other people that saw what was going on. And they saw how I handled it. And hopefully, it gave them courage to be able to handle it in a Christ-like manner when they're going through a difficult situation. And I know... Somebody in here has been through what I have. You know what it feels like for people to say something about you that's untrue and how it hurts to the core. Couldn't hurt any more. That old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. That's an untrue statement. Words will harm us. They will hurt us deeply. So just because we have not suffered under blood yet doesn't mean that we have not suffered greatly. Because of persecution. I really believe sometimes when somebody's trying to live for the Lord. And someone may be unsaved. Or they may be saved. But they're out of fellowship with God. And they see you living for the Lord. That sometimes they will throw daggers to try to pull you down to where they are. To make you look bad and think you will do something that will show, ah, ha, ha, he doesn't really have what he says he has, or she doesn't have what she said she had. If they can get us to come down to their level, they're happy. But if they can't get you to come down, that makes them even more angry. What did they do to Jesus? Everything they could. And what did he do from the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what he wants us to do. Every time we think about getting even with somebody, think about what he did. We as his children are to be like our father. Same spirit in us is in Christ. Same spirit. And the very first fruit of the spirit is what? Love. So he wants us to love with that agape love, and there's no conditions on it, is it? Unconditional love is what agape love is. There's no doubt some will suffer, may never know why God allowed their suffering. Yet many are affected, or maybe just one is affected by our lives. It's not why are some allowed to suffer or chosen to suffer, but to what end. That's the key to it. To what end of our suffering will affect somebody else's life. These patriarchs in Hebrew eleven were not delivered from, but they were delivered through. See what I'm saying? They weren't delivered from all that happened to them. You can read the whole chapter of chapter eleven. They weren't delivered from it. They were delivered through it, though. And the same thing may be true of us. The reward of one's faithfulness may not be in our lifetime, but in heaven's abode. Look at Verse 13 of chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. (laughs) See, I'm on a journey, and you are too. I'm not home yet. (laughs) When I get back to Lake Comerant, I pull in the drive. I'm not home yet. When you get home this afternoon, you're not home yet. You're a stranger or a pilgrim. In a strange land, it's more strange every day, isn't it? We're like aliens in this country that we live in now. But look what he said in verse 14. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And that's what we're doing. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity To have returned. But now they desire what? Verse 16. A better country. That is in heavenly. That's our desire. We know this is not heaven. (laughs) It's just the opposite. It's not our home. But we do have a home. Wherefore God. Verse 16. Part B. God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. Will be gathered around the throne one day singing like we did this morning in that city. David Ring was an evangelist, or he is evangelist. He came to our church. Uh, he stood behind the pulpit. He's in a wheelchair. and He stood up behind the pulpit, and he preached, holding on to the pulpit so he wouldn't fall down. He was born with cerebral palsy. When he was 14 years of age, his mother died, who was his caregiver. And it was like the end for David Ring. He was cast from house to house. He was an orphan. And he was ready to give up on life. He was so discouraged that he was suicidal. But then he got invited to a revival. He didn't go first night. He kept putting it off. They kept asking, and finally he said, I'm going to get you off my back. I'm going. But you know what happened when he went, right? (laughs) He got saved, and everything changed. He was still handicapped. He was still in a wheelchair most of the time. But he had hope. He had joy in his life. He had peace. He was still hurting. And then he wanted to be an evangelist. he applied at the many seminaries and every one of them turned him down because he had cerebral palsy Jerry Falwell heard of his flight Jerry Falwell saw through the handicap to the call that was on this man's heart on his heart and he took him under his wing and he started helping him get started he now preaches to over 100,000 people every year and when he stood behind that pulpit he said I've got cerebral palsy. What's your problem? You know? But a lot of people haven't answered the call of God because they said, Well, I can't do that. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. You know? They said, What's your problem? I've got cerebral palsy, and I answered the call. They said that he would never be married, but he said, I am. They said he'd never have children, or him and his wife would never have children, but he said, We do. He even has grandchildren now. You see, here's a man that, Persevered. When they told him no, he knew God had said yes. And he was not going to take no for an answer. He kept trying. And God did see a way that he could preach the gospel and become an evangelist. He's still at it today as far as I know. He pursued the calling God placed on his heart through obstacles and perseverance. And do you know that's the way it's usually going to be if we answer the call of God? It's going to be difficult. His faithfulness and courage in our times reveal that there are still heroes of faith presently today. As we read about those Hebrew patriarchs that were heroes of faith in chapter 11, they still are going on today for people like him. So, When the call of God comes, who does it come to? Let's look at it another way. The call of the sea is to those that who love the sea, right? Now, I don't love the sea. When we went overseas, I went on a ship. I didn't go on an airplane. And so when we crossed that ocean, I realized just how big that ocean was. I didn't know how big it was before that until I started crossing it on a ship. And don't call a a ship a boat to a sailor. Or he'll argue with you. It's not a boat. A boat you go fishing in, this is a ship. (laughs) But still, it was like a little boat out there on that ocean. Day after day after day after day after day, nothing but water. And I thought, are we going to ever see land again? It is a vast place to be out there. So I don't love the sea. I don't have that call like some people do. But the call of God comes like the call of the sea. It is to those that love him. That's why it says in 1 John 4 and 19, we love him because he first loved us. I want you to look at Ephesians. And you can finally close Hebrew 11. <laughs> but look at Ephesians chapter 4. And this explains the call of God. Because it gives us the reason for the gifts of God. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to start with the very first verse. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness or humility and meekness or mild mannered, with long-suffering or patience, forbearing or enduring one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of God. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto man. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill or fulfill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what? The perfecting of the saints. Here it is. The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry... For the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. That's why he gives the gifts. He gives the fruit for us personally in order that we might enjoy his presence. Love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control, and faith. That's all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and here in Ephesians 4 are for the work of the ministry. For the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or a mature man or woman unto the measure of the stature or the full age of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight or the trickery of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supply, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase in the body and to the edifying of building itself in love. So here we read, how the gifts work, how the calling of God upon one is ministering to another and how the call upon that person is ministering to us. And that's the way God intended for it to work. The gifts that we have are different, but they work together collectively. God has set the members of the body, every one of them in the body, as it pleases Him in Romans 12, I mean 1 Corinthians 12 and 18. So God sets those gifts in order in our lives and then sets those members in the body as it pleases him, that we have everything we need in a body to be able to be complete. When Jesus was separated from Mary and Joseph, and uh, for three days they looked for him, they finally found him in the temple. And Mary was upset because she didn't know where, she, where he was. And uh, she questioned him She said, why have you dealt with us so? Now, I was thinking about this, I think it was last night, and I thought, Mary was concerned about Jesus being lost. (laughs) He's the son of God. (laughs) She knew he was the son of God, and yet she was still worried. That's a mama, isn't it? Even though she knew he was the son of God, she didn't want him to be lost. Bless her heart. (laughs) But what did Jesus answer? Mary, I must be about my father's business. That's the answer that every one of us should give those that say, why do you do what you do? Why would you go to church on a Sunday morning when you can be doing all this other stuff? Why are you helping other people? I must be about my father's business. That's what is key, isn't it? Whatever he has designed for us, that's what we should be doing. There are many things that people do that will not matter one day. In fact, they won't even be remembered one day. But only those things that are done for the kingdom of God have eternal benefits. Those are the things that will count. Only one life to live, it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. It's like when you take a rock and drop it into a lake, and it quickly goes down to the bottom, but the ripples just keep on going out, don't they? long after that rock is down. Same way with our life. If we've been living in such a way, we've answered the call of God, we're using our life for eternal benefits. Guess what? When we leave this earth, the ripple's going to still continue. Yeah. You know? As we were singing, I was thinking about my grandpa. Couldn't speak English, but I can remember, he would sit on the front row of church, Pentecostal church. I'd be sitting in back with Mom and my brothers and sisters, when they were singing, he had his hands up and he was singing, worshiping God. And like I said before, I didn't know whether he was speaking in tongues or whether he was speaking in Italian. I couldn't tell them apart. I didn't know Italian. But I guarantee you that man enjoyed praising the Lord. He loved the Lord. He was he came up to about here on me. He was shorter than I am. That's where I probably got my height from or did get my height from. <laughs> but he loved to worship the Lord. Has he been an inspiration to me? Yeah, I can see him right now standing up and worshiping God. He had one leg short of another. He got run over by a car. Sometime he'd have to walk to church. He'd usually get a ride home. He was going to be in church and it wasn't one or two miles. It was six miles to church and he walked. He wanted to worship God. Is he an inspiration to me? Yes, he is. There should be people in our life that are an inspiration to us. And we should be an inspiration to others because of the call of God upon our life. When we enter heaven, will we enter heaven like this, with nothing? Or will our hands be full of the accomplishments that have produced eternal benefits? That's what's important in it. Is it not that we just go to heaven, that we have our ticket punched, but that we do something while we're here? I used to think, you know, our life is from the, on our tombstone, on the date we were born and the date we died. I don't see it that way anymore. I see now that dash is between the time I got saved and the day that I die. That dash, what do I do in that dash from the day? In 1986 when I got saved until that last day I live on this earth, what was accomplished for Jesus Christ's kingdom? What will be accomplished in your life from the day that you got saved to the day you leave this earth that will bring eternal benefits to those around you and to those that come after you? Will we go in with hands full of accomplishments that are productive or empty hands before Christ? Let us pray, okay? Lord, we realize that the fruit of the Spirit are given to us, Lord, personally, that we might enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit and have that love all the way through to the faith at the end of the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit that they will bring us, Lord, a fulfillment in our heart of knowing these fruit are productive in our life. But the gifts of the Spirit... Are different. They are given that we might be able to serve others and that we might be productive in our life in carrying out your will on this earth. Surely, Lord Jesus, as the call of the sea is to those that have a love for the sea and they answer it, the call of God is to those that love you, Lord Jesus. And answer that call because, Lord, we want to fulfill your will here on this earth. We realize there are things sometimes that prevent someone from answering that call. Sometimes someone will love the world more than they love God, and they'll love the things of the world more than they love God. And these things will prevent someone from fulfilling the calling upon their life. And I just pray, Lord, here among us this morning, if there's anything preventing one of us from fulfilling the complete will of God in our life. Lord, would you reveal that to us, that we might take action to examine our life and remove whatever that is that may be preventing us from fulfilling the calling upon our life. Whether we're on the front line or whether, Lord, we're one of those that support those on the front line, may we always be diligent, Lord, to do those things that you have put into our heart. That, Lord, by serving others, we are showing our love for you, Jesus Christ. As you tell us in Matthew, when you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it as unto me. Every time that we give water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, clothes to the naked, we're hospitable to those that have not, Every time we visit someone who is sick or in prison, Lord, we're actually doing it as unto you, is what the Bible tells us. And Lord, that brings joy to you. We love you, Lord, as First Peter tells us, and we've never seen you. We believe in you, Lord Jesus, and we've never seen you. And I know, Lord, that as you look down on this earth, And you see your church, Lord, loving you, believing in you, being faithful, no matter what's happening in our lives. That brings joy to your heart. And, Lord, we want to bring joy to the heart of our Savior who died for us on the cross. And I hope that you find a light in those who are faithful to you. And I pray, Lord, if there's anything that keeps us, Lord, from loving you with all our heart, that this morning it would be revealed to us. You tell us in James, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So the ball is in our court. It's just how close we want to be to you and how productive we want to be in using our life to benefit the kingdom of God and to enlarge the kingdom of God. So we realize these gifts are used for many different ways but one is to expand the church by presenting the gospel to the unbelievers in this world. To be a witness to others by the love in our heart that truly there's something better than the way that the unbeliever lives in this world where they are vengeful toward others that hurt them. But we're to show love to those who harm us and show a better path. Lord, let us be a light in the darkness that we live in. You are the light, but the church is a light. Let us shine our light broadly, Lord. Not be ashamed, but let that light shine in the darkness. I pray for this church, Lord. I thank you for everyone here this morning. I thank you for their faithfulness, Lord, to serve you, to love you, to fellowship, to be here, Lord, when they could be at home but to hear because they love you and they want to worship you. And I thank you, Lord, for them, each and every one. I pray you'd send them a pastor, Lord, who would love them and help them, Lord, that would have a heart for God. So bless now, Lord, these that are here. Bless the food that we're about to partake of. Bless this spiritual food, Lord, that it'll touch each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.